You're muted. Are you muted, Marcia? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I unmuted myself. Sorry about that long introduction, everyone. Uh, here we are for the second discussion of The Darkness That comes before, which is the first book of the Prince of Nothing trilogy by R. Scott Baker, uh, who I called R. Scott Baker for a really long time. Um, we are discussing part two today, which is chapters five to eight. And we have our usual group of friends. Uh, Mike, would you like to start us off with introductions? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my name is Mike, and um, I'm a member of the Page Chewing Forum, and really excited to discuss part two with you all. I had a great time um, the la the two weeks ago and just looking forward to it. Glad you can make it. Definitely. Uh, Steve? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm glad to be here. It's my third time reading this book and I seem to pick up something every single time. So... Happy to be here. Glad to see all of your all of your beautiful faces, as Carl said. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just been looking forward to it for two weeks. So yeah, it's good to be. Uh, it's always a fun time. So thanks for having me. Cool. And Dan, who is also a longtime lover of the series. Yes. Uh, hi, I'm Dan. Um, I am a big fan of the series. I've read it. I don't know, four or five times, I guess. But. I have a really bad memory, so I forget a lot of stuff, so it's always good to reread parts of it. So hopefully I can contribute some useful comments on it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and Carl. Who's yeah, Carl in <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I am here. No one can see it, but I, I, I am the darkness that comes before right now. I'm completely like pitch black with one little candle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Carl Albert. I am also a member of the Page Chewing Forum and an author of Epic Fantasy. My debut, Truth of Crowns, just came out earlier this year. Um, and I am so excited to be here. And I'm glad, you know, Steve is not completely alone on being a rereader this time. Um, it's good. We're, we're evening, you know, the odds a bit here. <laughs> We need to start drawing graphs of their poker faces when we do our predictions. <laughs> <laughs> like a police sketch. Like we, we yeah. got. We, what's going on here? Like <laughs> it's tough sometimes. <laughs> I'm impressed. I I haven't yeah. felt like you had in our first chat like gave given anything away or anything like that. It's it's all you're good at keeping things mysterious. And oh my gosh, this this book is mysterious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the trick is like putting in comments so people that have read it before know oh I know what he's referencing but also the people that haven't read it don't know what's going on mm -hmm. <laughs> the code words keep it interesting for everyone <laughs> I feel oh, like yeah. Dan you do that really well with our oh, yeah. discussions mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Maybe. tough It's uh, I'm impressed with Dan and uh, Daniel who we read the first, the first uh, read with I had no idea what, he didn't give anything away. It's really tough. So kudos to them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I also don't remember, especially like the minutiae of like the history and relations between people, you know, all these lineages and stuff like that. And I've been reading parts of the, you know, the history of Erwa sort mm -hmm. of um, compilation book, whatever you want to call it. 
um, you know, and I'm like, I don't know how people can remember this sort of stuff or how they <laughs> pieced it together from the little bits scattered about in the books. It's quite impressive. So, yeah. Is, there, is there an official like world book or, or is this like a fan compilation of all the history? What... From what I know, it's a fan compilation. Okay. Of the history. Well, that's still, that's super cool. Yeah. Did any few particular fans contribute or is it just extremely uh, crowdsourced? Since the beginning, it's, no, it's just one guy. Hmm. Just one guy <laughs> <laughs> wrote it. I mean, he might be wrong, <laughs> but wow. Kudos to that one guy. I, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was thinking how he did it. He must have been like reading it and making notes every single part that he was mentioning something. It's like, oh, this slots into this part and into that part and then piecing it together. Because there are certain things that I'm reading that I'm like, okay, I remember that little bit. I didn't know it was connected to that or that. Or I don't know when this was ever mentioned, for example. I cannot recall, but I mm. guess it was somewhere. <laughs> Or, or author interviews, uh, information that was revealed outside the books, perhaps. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of um, info, extra information, discussion on uh, Baker's website, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and he has a lot of blog posts and a lot of. There's a lot of people which are a lot more expert about it, going super in detail about fan theories and possibilities, and like, I don't know, it's it's too much for me. But if someone <laughs> does want to go into it, there's a lot of material. Oh, I love that. See, see, that's the stuff I live for. I love all the fan theories and like falling in to these worlds and just like getting uh, obsessive about like the mysteries. And I'm, I'm not like a particularly good theorist, mm -hmm. but I like reading other people's <laughs> theories yeah. and having my opinions, you know, uh, either pro or, or con um, the theories. And oh, man, it's uh, I love it. I love that in A Song of Ice and Fire. I love um that in this series already you know that it certainly has that air of mystique and all of these you know passing mentions that aren't just like they don't feel like they're throwaways you know like there, mm -hmm. i definitely feel like there are some fantasy books where you get the sense that someone just said oh you know the battle of zero tower and that's just like some random thing that they came up with on the spot like with baker you get really get the sense that there's a real history and, and not least because like he will reference things multiple times and you'll like slowly see, you know, the world unravel and more and more of the story come to the fore. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if Steve, you read any of that. Like for example, I remember reading a while ago, some of the, how do I tell you without telling other people, <laughs> you know, in the second series, there are certain <laughs> chapters, which are like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's certain chapters, especially with. Um, yeah, I got you. Yeah, you know, I got you. With poles, but yeah. Um, yeah, there's some interesting theories about what those beans and what it means in the whole mm. series. If it can find oh. like the, whatever we call it, something sees forums or whatever the forums that oh, okay. discuss these things. But yeah, there's probably a lot more that I haven't even seen. I did. I had a question, <laughs> so I, I'm assuming, and. I, I probably I wouldn't want to do this, but um, we would for those of us that are new to the series, we would not be reading the Irwa Bible or what have you. No, because I saw it was on no. the it was you have it linked, I think, uh, or somebody had it 
I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I, but I, I was careful not to, to look at that. And I, I've been, yeah, I've been trying to avoid that kind of stuff, but, uh, yeah, there's lots and lots of surprises. Do not okay. spoil yourselves on anything. Oh, re- resist. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, uh, take any chances. Yeah. yeah that was the advice that you <laughs> gave earlier, Steve. So I'm trying to stick with that and not even Google anything. Uh, <laughs> That being said, I, I mean, some of the stuff, I, I, I guess, um, I, I like to try to uh, see if I can guess certain things. And then maybe I'm, I go, like, I like I think today I went back to um, one of the chapters because I thought maybe something was revealed that we should have hint, we should have caught. Um, and I, there was, I, I will say there's so many names, there's many new characters introduced well quite a few and and then many proper nouns so capitalized you know what and i i I, my head was swimming a little bit there i I will admit i don't know about others but what was the uh the thing that you you thought was the reveal and i think that's probably a good place to start yeah okay um so i think in the last chapter of of part two we we learn about the, um, the the plan of the of the emperor Zarius. I'm I'm throwing throwing these names out there, <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure uh, we have five different ways of pronouncing them. Um, but uh, we we I think we learned that um, if I understood correctly that he made a deal um, with uh, this this other f- faction. And I and I don't remember which which group they were representing, but I think the guy's name was Kalma Munis. and so that's the one of several leaders or no, um, I think they're called named men or something along those lines. I might be getting confused with uh, Abercrombie, but um, who, who went and led the first uh, part of the Holy War, and I think they 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 called them the Vulgar war or something along those lines Mm -hmm. but i it seemed as though that was orchestrated early on in part two and and, but i think then it was alluded to later but uh so at the time i was like i went back (laughs) um and made made a few notes of that um so i I may have gotten the names wrong uh, or mispronounced them but that's totally fine i'm sure um so that that was one of that was one of those things where i was like Oh, um, I wondered, you know, you kind of wondered what the motivation was for, but there was a lot of scheming going on in, in part two across the board, I thought, um, but I'm curious what, what others thought. Is that siren? Is that me? Or is that coming from one of you? Oh, no, that's me. I think they're coming for Dan. (laughs) No, I I live next to the hospital. So it's uh, a lot of sirens, unfortunately. Oh, all good. I, I was just curious. I was like, it sounded so like lifelike, and I, I it, like was kind of in the distance, but not quite. So I was like, is that? Yeah, is that near me? I anyway. No, um, yeah, no, Mike. I I think uh, what you're talking about was an interesting, certainly political power play with the uh, the emperor Zerius that he basically just threw away half of their crusading forces because he wants yeah. to reclaim power from the Shria, which was such a like 
I, we'll see if it pays off, yeah. you know. I mean, I certainly have theories about how everything is going to play out in, in a very broad sense, just because I know this trilogy is based on the First Crusade. But that's a, a hell of a move um, to basically offer up a whole army as like a blood oh. sacrifice to the enemy, really. Um, it's uh, I, I really liked the relationship, the nuance between the empire, the, what are they? Are they the, the Senian empire is the old, like before, the right? Empire. empire. What's yeah. I think that's a, Nanser? Yes. Yeah. The Nanser empire. Yes. Thank you. Uh, the Nanser empire. I really like their relationship with, uh, the Kyanine, uh, group that like the Kyan that they had this ancient history, you know, it definitely evoked knowing the historical influences um the greco-persian rivalry i think was kind of what they were you know sort of a similar relationship they were alluding to which i thought was really interesting and honestly wasn't something that i'd necessarily thought of even as a fan of like the history of the crusades it's like oh yeah these like you know the byzantines these greeks have this greater history with you know the the, the arabs and the turkish you know people further out there uh, because of the Persian Empire and all of that and this, you know, going far back before um, the Abrahamic relig uh, religions influenced things. And similarly here, you know, before you had the thousand temples and before you had, you know, all the prophets, all a prophet for everyone, uh, there <laughs> was still this relationship between them, you know, that's alluded to uh, in one of the epigraphs. And I thought that was really interesting. And that the characters themselves sort of acknowledge that and have this more, they clearly like hate each other, but respect each other in a way they don't respect the crusaders who they view as savages. And I thought that was a really unique, interesting kind of political dynamic to see in a fantasy story. I think that does somewhat reflect, up to my recollection, what actually happened during the crusades which the Byzantines, like, you know, they wanted to use the uh, Frankish lords for recapturing their territory, pretty much. Um, yeah. But I believe there was, like, a lot of conflict prior to that between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity, right? Um, I don't know if there was anything Absolutely. like the sort of, uh, what's it called, the indenture that it's called uh, mm. in, uh, in the books here, right? Yeah. Was there anything of that sort in real life? Yeah, there was. Hmm. Uh, that's actually true to history. The strip pulled straight from it, where the uh, Emperor Alexius Komnenos. I, I went and like revisited mm -hmm. the Crusader history, like the First Crusade, after our last uh, podcast, just to make sure I get like the details right. Um, and yeah, he had the exact same sort of idea of this indenture, where like having all the Crusaders come and be like, "We're going to give you the land. We're going to reclaim the Holy Land for you." And they were all like, "No." we're going to reclaim the holy land because we want to and we're going to take the spoils and uh you're lucky if you get anything and that naturally made him very unhappy uh the same as it did you know in Perserius here and I, I think the big kind of divergence based on my understanding of the history of the first crusade was that the vulgar holy war that we saw here seemed to be driven by nobles in a way that it wasn't historically. Like they do talk about like there are a lot of peasants kind of rising up as part of it, but like in the actual history, 
it was like literally like almost entirely like peasants and like very low like nobility and driven by this guy you know named peter the hermit which kind of tells you a lot about him right just as a name and the emperor didn't want to like sacrifice the guys but he, he actually did kick them out of his city and was like go you know go off but don't fight the turks because they will slaughter you they are way stronger they're way smarter they're way better at fighting than you guys are you guys are a bunch of dumb peasants and they went and they got slaughtered uh, as opposed to here, where it was this like Machiavellian strategy, which I thought was an interesting and a twist on things that he was basically like, and not just a, a Machiavellian strategy, strategy, it's a gambit, you know, like Mike said, it's like interesting motivations here, because it's a real risk, like, this could easily blow up in his face. But you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Hmm. The scheming is the most fun part, though, I think of these at least the first book is one of the funnest part is like all the schemes between all the different characters and trying to outsmart them other people yeah it does really give that feel of uh, sort of like a very like a again like a byzantine court right with all these different okay. factions and yeah and all these lords which are coming there not you know expecting to do any of this sort of thing just oh we're coming here fight a religious war mm -hmm not to, you know, involving court politics. One of the things that I uh, also, I, I found um, striking is that the, the emperor and his, well, it's also his nephew and the, and the, his mother, and they have an interesting relationship. Maybe we can talk about that later, but um, <laughs> the, yeah. uh, that they're re they really don't care about the Holy war. I don't think like they're they're not really in in it for they're in it for 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 to reclaim their old land it sounded like and for and destiny i think that word is used a lot in that um made me think of uh the a little bit of dune which we talked about in the, the last time um but um yeah, oh, yeah. but i i just to say like i I just I, I I liked how the narrative is shifting quite a bit, in that you have so many other so many different uh, groups vying for for power, um, and they're not necessarily doing it for the holy reasons, which is to me very realistic, right? Like it's not just about um, converting people or evangelizing to it. To a new religion it's about power i i think that was my my take on it and i that's even though i again there were many many names uh, <laughs> in many a lot of the history as you mentioned and maybe if you had read the series a lot of that was would be setting off different light bulbs or, or what have you but um the that that's those that was one of the kind of aha moments i had was that you know this because we learned a lot about the the emperor and his family, um, and and his advisors, and the all of the kind of um, uh, ver various um, agreements or uh, um, uh, you know the different schemes that he comes that they come up with. But at the same time, they're within their their own family group. They're the 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 nephew is we learn is 
he thinks he's the smartest and he thinks you know the 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 emperor is is dumb but i'm not i'm not totally convinced i i really i wrote down this is hubris to the nth degree here and i think at the end and i'm not i don't mean to jump ahead but he does say he sees feels like a god and there's all these like they're like getting aroused and things like that if i'm not mistaken (laughs) Um, anyway i talked enough about that so (laughs) love to hear from others um Yeah, I thought I thought that whole um, trying to steal the holy war from <laughs> the one who announced it. I thought that was very interesting, and yeah, it's interesting that there was a historical equivalent sort of for that too. And yeah, I thought the groundwork at the beginning of the chapter of this part uh, it really played out very satisfyingly to the end, like of this part as far as we got, uh, because I mean. By the end of chapter one, I was wondering, you know, who's on whose side, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like the counselor, uh, the grand counselor, is that his title? Um, I don't know which side he's batting for. Uh, I was convinced that uh, Sirius is being betrayed. Um, and, and and I was fairly certain that Skatos, Sk- is that his name? Skatos? Skatos. Skatos is sort of doing his own thing like he's basically you know those uh old grand viziers who were the brains behind the throne and and he is to a great extent and it feels like he's in implementing his agenda through Sirius in the first chapter but then by the time we get to the fourth chapter uh, of this part we realize that he's actually trying to undermine what he's up to so there's just there's so much to think about and wonder and predict and figure out i thought this whole thing was really interesting and also uh, on the subject of the vulgar holy war i thought it was particularly interesting i guess um the play on fanaticism where they're like yeah god is on our side so there's no way we can't win and Sirius is using that to goad them (laughs) into going and fighting a war that he knew that they would lose that also was very interesting do you think now then that uh Sirius is not being is not going to get betrayed because you said at the beginning it's like oh i thought he was going to be but I think he is. I I just thought Skaos was the betrayer. I don't... Hmm. I mean, and he is, but not in the way that I thought. Like, uh, I guess there is someone else goading... Like, I don't... I have trouble believing that all of the grand plans that Sirius has laid out are his. (laughs) Because he very much wants to believe (laughs) that Mm. all the ideas are coming from him, and clearly Mm -hmm. they are not. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) I, it's it's really interesting you point that out uh, that you know maybe that there is uh, clearly Zarius is influenced by people right and it's repeatedly mentioned that fear is kind of a driving emotion for him uh, but at the same time he does enact these very you know convoluted complex political plans which aren't the sort of thing I normally would imagine someone who's very fear driven would do but but you know it, it makes you wonder, right? Like, what are the added influences, certainly among the people around him? It certainly seemed like in the past, Gaos was a big 
influence on him, and it seems like there's a rift forming there. Skeos, to me, was my favorite character. I was sad that he seemed kind of weak-willed, although it seems like his life is constantly in jeopardy and that their court is so toxic. Like, like, toxic doesn't even touch on it. It's murderous. <laughs> like, that you can just get killed for just, like, looking at the emperor wrong is horrifying. And it's no wonder that they all have, like, a history of, like, terrible murders and, you know, emperors not living very long and different things like that when they all, like, treat each other like that. Uh, but it's also, uh, getting back to the idea of, like, viewing, you know, the northerners and stuff as the barbarians, and certainly we've seen some absolutely barbaric things from those people already. But these are people who are like constantly at each other's throats and murdering each other left and right, as if that's like some super civilized. That's sophisticated murder. Notion. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, sophisticated, exactly. It's like you looked at me wrong or like, you you know, you, you I, I didn't like that one idea you had or you argued with me too yeah. much. It's like, it is so childish and petty. And oh, yeah. so, it, I mean, it is very like, talk about the the deity aspect of it it is very greek godlike mm -hmm. you know that's like a lot of you know when you think of those kind of older polytheistic religions that is like a lot of the stories you see um particularly in the greco-roman pantheon is you know a lot of mm. hubris and just being pissed off about very small mm -hmm. slights and then destroying human lives because of it um i wanted to rewind again sorry uh, back to the familial relationships and yeah the dynamics of the court which i thought by far was the most interesting thing to me um i oh thank you yeah i mean going back to what you said oh, about the you're, Greek you're muted stuff. Carl. oh yeah <laughs> still muted yeah. oh yeah okay no i did want to okay. say like because you said it's, it feels very greek sort of thing don't you also feel a bit like the Nancer Empire in general, so the like the um, family dynamic is very inspired by like uh, Ptolemaic Egypt and that sort of you know a bit incestuous yes. oh, sort of um, yeah, and also some of them in general the, the the sounds of the names are a bit Greek slash Macedonian successor empire inspired, hmm. um, and I think yeah there are some descriptions which make it sort of like a mix between that eastern roman empire and uh, macedonian greek sort of aesthetic that's how i imagine it personally especially the soldiers i imagine the soldiers sort of like because they're called uh legionnaires i think if i remember correctly but um from their description right. description i imagine them sort of more like macedonian uh pike sort of felling soldiers a bit with a bit of roman inspiration Absolutely. I know. I, I think that's a great point. And yeah, the weird incesty stuff definitely gave Ptolemaic Egypt that that was, I, I was wondering, like, th there were weird vibes at first. And then we it becomes explicit later on. And I was like, the, the one thing I'm unclear on is if uh, the prince and grandma did it because he seems to find her really gross, mm. like physically, yeah. you know, he's like turned off by her age. And so I'm wondering if she molested him too, or if she didn't. And I don't know, we'll see, maybe that'll come into play. But yeah, th their whole dynamic is so weird and I love it. I'm here for the mess. <laughs> I, I, I adore the mess and they're all so terrible. Mm -hmm. They're just horrible. Again, Ske Skeos is my favorite character of this group mm -hmm. of chapters 
period. Because, like, again, he, 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 I didn't love that he seemed to kind of just, like, give up really easily, but maybe not. You know, maybe he is working, you know, schemes within schemes. Uh, but because the other characters are just so horrible. They're just, they're just terrible. That's what makes them fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And uh, I, I, I'm very curious. I was impressed by how Baker continually pulled the rug out from under me with how I felt mm -hmm. about where storylines were going. Like, I was convinced the Emperor was an idiot and was going to get his son killed. You know, I mean, the, the, the former Empress, like, clearly makes a big point of that. But just like it, the way everything was described, I was like, "Oh yeah, the sun's screwed," and then he sweeps the you know yeah. the Skilvendi, mm -hmm. and then you come back and like, you know, is is he going to betray the emperor now? And like, oh, now there are other plans going on. It's just like I was constantly surprised by the developments, and honestly, I expected the emperor to just be like an idiot because he really came across like an idiot yeah. to me at first like someone who thinks he's really smart but he successfully did at least one major you know i mean having his son go out there and in one fell swoop wipe out one of their age-old enemies like that's a big deal like that actually really can't be understated you know especially given the holy war they're about to be a part of so i, I i'm I have very conflicted feelings about all of them, particularly in relation to their competency, not so much their morality, hmm. which is, you know, I do not have a very high opinion of. <laughs> no. I... One thinks he's a god, the other wants to be a god. <laughs> and they both betray each other at every turn they can. Oh, I, I love I that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was God. just gonna say I can't wait for one of them to like try to murder the other. It's gonna happen. Like you, you don't, you don't have them like constantly think about trying to kill each other and like never try to kill each other like something's <laughs> something's gonna go down um if someone doesn't get to them first i guess you know any one of them i guess could get like picked off um so i'm i'm yeah curious to see where that goes yeah yeah i i love the scene that you referenced carl where um confess comes back from defeating the sylvendi and then he thinks that like, he has this whole big monologue about how he can uh, you know, take serious if he wanted to, and then it turns out that he'd probably have lost big mm, time yeah. if he had tried because, you know, Sirius knew that he might, or someone manipulating Sirius knew that he might. Um. <laughs> exactly. That that's exactly what I was talking about earlier with the like constantly having the rug pulled out from under me, where I I, mm -hmm. I was convinced that the son was this total badass. And that he was going to, you know, like, again, not a good person, but I was like, okay, so he's the competent one, though. And then he ends up chickening out. And then not only does he chicken out, but then he finds out that his dad, or uncle, uncle rather, yeah. right? Uncle. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe replaced all his soldiers. Yeah. I did wonder, though, at that point, I was like, okay, this is also convoluted. Maybe his uncle's lying. Right. And maybe that was just all talk and was mm. just a way to kind of establish his dominance via like his personality because i don't know that we have it confirmed one way or another whether he actually replaced them all and i thought so he did because I, I, I thought he said something like oh i don't recognize this soldier something like i thought he said something like that okay if he does then, then great and i <laughs> and i just missed that um but yeah no they're definitely having me question i guess yeah. the moral of the story everything that happens and like <laughs> what's real and who is actually going to be like 
effective. I think that's a good. You know, I mean, that's the yeah. biggest thing. It's a good point to realize now. Like the characters are not just like one-dimensional. Sort of, they're just one thing. They're just competent. They're just pathetic. They're just fearful, right? Like they can be a lot of things at the same time, which you know makes mm-hmm. them a lot more real to me. You know, they're not mm-hmm. completely disgusting. They're not. You know, there's uh, some good. There's some bad. Uh, mostly bad, but you know, they're not completely With useless. These characters, and, at least. Yeah, but you know, also the world they live in is not a very nice world, right? If you're a nice person in that sort of court, I don't think you're gonna survive yeah. long, right? Right. I think uh, so. If you're not constantly scheming, another character to me, which is a, a, a another example of this. So the not uh. How, how do we the the barbarian night Nair? Nair? How do you guys pronounce it? I don't know. I say Nair. Sounds good. Nair. It starts with a C. So, I was pronouncing the C. So I I I mean a lot of bad stuff happens to him, and I actually wanted to comment like um, on two things. Well, one is that I, I I was sympathetic to him initially because of, um, you know, he, he suffers a pretty bad loss and I think pretty much was left for dead or I assumed that initially that he died, but uh, quickly thereafter, he, you know, he's being picked over by looters or what have you people. I, that scene was, was something else. I thought that was an excellent scene um, where you know, people are like scavenging bodies and then he's kind of just lying there. But, um, I, I, but my, my point is that we learn that he's a very vengeful person. And I mean, I, I (laughs) guess you can kind of understand in that, that world that that is the way. And and then he kind of had to, I guess they do touch upon how this, that's part of the Skilvendi culture and he's the chieftain so he had to kind of sh- he had to show his people, you know, that he you know is like all powerful because he basically kills um, the 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 dude who betrayed him. Um, I mean, his whole family and, yeah. and all the children, <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's an apple that that hits me in the chest. No, it's a child's head. It's a bummer. Uh, and that the, was freaky. That was great. I mean, imagery. the imagery was yeah. was something else. Um, and uh but but um i so i meant to this is another one of those where i was like okay um because you i think it was carl um you you were mentioning how um you know confus defeated this this group of um they're they're like pastoralists i believe or um they reminded me of the dothraki somewhat um Mm. yes but uh we we learned that, and my my understanding was maybe he got a little bit lucky because they had factions within their group, and but I wasn't. But now I was wondering. So did because it. My understanding was that um, the uh, some of the di- some of these different um, uh, uh, fighters within the Skilvendi kind of betrayed. Um, uh, night Nayur, but I wasn't sure. Maybe blank, maybe uh, blanking on how that happened and whether that was orchestrated by 
um, Confis or, or whomever, but I was just wondering if anybody understood uh, or maybe we don't know what happened there. Was it his uncle too? Was it? Was it? Well, are they related, or am I making that up? I may, I may be pulling no, that I out of my butt. No, I think there might be something there. I think I don't but remember exactly. It is the other guy in his like tribe, right? Who was yeah, like your? It's his uncle. Different. I thought it was. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. So he says that um, he he was there the night uh, Nayur's father died, mm-hmm. and he saw him. Um, what uh, I remember it because he says uh, I saw the way you looked at him. It was like you were in love with him, and I thought until we got to the last chapter that he meant uh, his father, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> turns out it was Moengus, but. Um, yeah, so that's who betrayed him, but I don't remember how he got betrayed. Um, but do you think that the other chieftains would have listened to him if he hadn't been betrayed? Because he was sure, yeah, I, I feel like they would have overruled him anyway, right? Yeah. Because that's just not how they think about the battles. I think yeah. the whole structure of that sequence, narrative sequence, is like structured in a very... Uh, sort of predictable way as in you know you have your barbarians which follow tradition and then you have a person that goes against tradition which is right because he sees things which other people don't see because they're blinded by you know again their own traditions but the smart person sees it it tells them but they ignore him they make fun of him and then it goes badly right that whole structure is very classic and you're led to emphasize with the smart guy in this case and then it's interesting how it turns, because when he goes back, he's like, yeah. wait a second, I don't like this guy anymore. <laughs> he's not a good guy, really. No. Right? Uh, but it is interesting Might how it's... the worst of all we've met. Yeah. He is like the archetype of a barbarian, right? But he is smart. He's yeah. like very smart. He seems to be thinking not in a way that, you know, the usual barbarian meathead would think, right? And we get a lot more of his emotion because and that's not a lot how a lot of times the barbarian archetype is portrayed in literature right he's portrayed as you know a sort of sorcery man of action right not as mm. a man of introspection which we do mm. get some of that and i think there's going to be some more of that in the future do we get in here like uh like his title he does like, say what he calls something. himself yeah go ahead Steve. i don't remember um, no no i the chieftain i, I couldn't i was, I was uh, no I was searching my notes here. I couldn't oh, go find ahead, it. Uh, go <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler. I, I well, I think I think I know what you're referring to. I don't. I don't think he specifically gives him like has a title, but he does talk about killing the people who betrayed him and their whole family and. Yeah. Uh, they, you mean Reaper? Is, is you talking about Reaper? No, no. I oh. think, no, it's not part, but I think it, he calls himself all the time like the most violent of all men. Hmm. Um, and I think oh, that's yeah. a, it's, I think that's one of the most amazing, like, sort of titles or like the sort of feeling that it makes you think about and the image that it portrays. It's so. I don't know. Nair is hmm. one of my favorite characters. Nair and hmm. Compass. Are two of my favorite characters, but yeah. they're not good characters. I, but. No. <laughs> they're likable, but they are very interesting characters for sure. I think on the idea of like him being this classic barbarian type, but like t- 
taken in a different way, you know, with new, more nuance and stuff. The thing that particularly stood out to me on that end was that he had his cowardly moments where mm -hmm. you could even say that they were shrewd, right? That they, it was intelligent, it was mm -hmm. smart. And I think, I think that would be reasonable, to be honest. Um, but that he wasn't, he didn't stand up and like try to kill Confus. You know, he thought about it, but he was like, no, I'm going to stay here. And it, it made an interesting parallel with him and the Emperor, I thought, first of all, because these are two characters who, to me, were very strongly driven by fear. Um, I think there is even like moments where the other tribesmen like call Confus and like tell him he's like being a cowardly, you know, particularly when he's trying to talk them down from going into the battle. So I thought that was interesting, the, the parallels there. Uh, I hated him from the get-go. Like, I, I, on, of all the cast, I don't know why, but Nair, I just, I mm -hmm. instantly did not like him, even though I, I thought the rest of the tribal people were clearly, like, huge idiots. And he was by far the smartest of at mm -hmm. least the ones we met so far, of the Skilvendi. I just, I, I think it's, I have my own biases against the, like, barbarian archetype. Mm. And I, it takes a lot for me to, like, for them to grow on me. Like, I, I think I really like a sense of humor, particularly like Carsa Orlong and Logan Ninefingers for me, or like, I love those characters. And I've, I haven't gotten that emotional reaction to him yet, other than disgust with how he is the most violent of all men, right? Um, but it didn't, I guess that didn't even like stand out to me particularly because everyone here is like horrible and violent. Uh, I'm not everyone actually. I, we, we've had, again, we had, well, uh, one nice character who died, um, who was my sweet boy. And I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how all the other ones turn out. But I did find in general that this section was harder for me to get mm. through. I don't, I don't know, uh, partially because there were a lot of names, like it felt denser in a way, you know, like it wasn't as much of like exploring the same stuff. Like it was really expanding the world mm. quite a lot. And particularly with the vulgar uh, crusade, I just, I, all the little lords they introduced didn't feel like they were fleshed out enough for me to like differentiate between them. So I struggled with them. And then that when they just like told in a very broad swath in a very like kind of history book style of how the vulgar history played out, it just, I, I don't know, it, it didn't, it felt like too much telling to me and I think it's an intentional choice like it's not like you know that's very clearly a style that Baker was going for and uh but it just it lessened the impact I guess of like what ultimately happened to those warriors I didn't necessarily feel the scope of the tragedy as much as I wanted to what I did feel though was that Confis is I, I can't even begin to describe his like personality issues, um, but I love it. I do love Confis. I think he's, it, I love him in a like he's horrible way, um, but I, that's true with all of these characters, especially all in the the Imperial Court. Um, I just just love it. I think maybe Akim Akimian is is kind of not that bad, you know, compared to everyone. Else. I think he's been nicer one of all of them. Absolutely. No, he hasn't. He hasn't done anything like. He just seems, you know, like kind of a bit of a like he's a he's a little gross in the way that like you know someone in a, a we would view like from like you know the medieval ages, but like he's r relatively like moral and trying to do right at least, as opposed to just being out for himself. 
Oh, he's a. Uh... And Esmanet yet has not lost me. I don't know if she's. Oh, Esmanet, yeah, Esmanet, for now is. Esmanet. Pretty nice. For now. Well, it could be could change, or maybe for not, now. or maybe not. Who okay. knows? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, all these characters okay. are gonna, you know, we're gonna delve a lot deeper into their personality, or most of them. And mm. It's gonna, it's not gonna be like, oh, you know, just a little bit deep. It's gonna be like, you know, what are for a lot of them, what is like their whole personality, you know. Right. Okay. It's going to be a lot of have you know, discussion on this. Have you met most of the cast at this point, or does it keep adding different POVs based on the story? Mm. I'm, I don't know how much we should say. There, okay. there are more characters, but. Um, okay. Yeah, there's a couple important characters I think we're still. Yeah. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But 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 stuff like I don't know like I don't know what your opinion are on like Kellis. Um, but. Kellis, I'm uh, neutral on, and I'm expecting to dislike him very very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like from what we've seen, like he's not. I don't know. To me, he doesn't feel like a character. He's not a character, up until now. Okay. He's. He's more like a robot sort of thing, right? He's, he's more like a, you know, a force of nature, an animal, uh, something that happens, mm. right? It's not... Yeah. You don't think, like, oh, what, what is he going to do? What is he feeling? What are his emotions? What is he going to decide based on, right? Yeah. He's very cold, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's he's intriguing. Kellis is very intriguing. And I'm shocked that... I mean, this is a big, you know, was a big topic of discussion for us in episode mm-hmm. one and part one that, you know, I, I think we should definitely revisit is like, have we seen more Kellis? Like, I didn't get the vibe that he was any of the characters we've met, but <laughs> I'm shocked that we haven't seen him if we haven't. I I still like the theory that he's maybe Mathanet. I don't know if the timeline works out there or not, but that to me was an interesting theory that I have like kept my eye on as I've been reading, because uh, otherwise I just feel like, I'm just shocked that he hasn't like come up more, considering he was like the central character of the prologue. And I know he's major for the series as a whole, so I, I, don't, I don't know. We also didn't have any um, Akamian. I, I don't think his name was mentioned in part two at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that, <laughs> I found that interesting. Um, it, it, yeah, it seemed like part two was kind of a tonal shift and I would agree with you, Carl, in that, that section where there's just a lot happening in, when they're describing, like, I mean, I, I actually highlighted the section, but there, it, and, a, and a lot of the names that were given, I, I didn't, I was like, I'm just going to let it, I'm just going to let it wash over me. You know, like, I'm just like, you know, I think, Marsha, last time you said the names, I just, you know, I just kind of buzz through them. And and, and it starts with the same letter, same character. <laughs> and it's and it's fine. And, and that was fine. But I, I didn't I just felt like um, a little bit taken out or, or um, a little bit less um, immersed in the story. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of it, a lot of what um, Baker is trying to do has has purpose i'm i'm trusting him uh <laughs> but there were sections where i was a, i wasn't i was like oh when are we going to get back to you know these other characters that being said mm-hmm. I, I i did start to like some of the characters um 
and uh, um, and maybe I should. It's, it's bad to admit because they are not the best people, but um, that's maybe how I am. <laughs> yeah. and something wrong with me, but <laughs> like I, I, I kind of like um, like reading about them. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the Nayur guy, um, <laughs> but I'm maybe partial to barbarian kind of you know types, <laughs> or I don't I don't know. I feel like maybe those parts where you guys were getting bored, I guess, with a list, oh, you know, this guy, son of this guy, or this guy came mm -hmm. with their, his retinue, all these lords, and stuff like that. I think that part is supposed to harken back or be like an homage a bit to um, classical poems. Like, or, for example, mm -hmm. even just like in uh, Tolkien, right? You get when the reinforcements sure. come to Minas Tirith, it's like, oh, this lord with his retinue, all these soldiers came from this land. And then this one is the whole list, you know, which again mm -hmm. is also a reference to, um, like the what's it called in in English, uh, war in Troy, um, what's it called Greek uh, the Iliad. Iliad, before the Iliad, um, the Aeneid, the Aeneid comes after. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Aeneid comes after. So well, anyways, yeah, it's, so. it's the, the Iliad, the Odyssey, Iliad. and the Aeneid, or the, the oh, okay, the yeah, you're right. Trio. I confused. No, you're right. The Iliad. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be sort of like that because there's also like a long section of like the list of the lords that come, and then this motif is repeated in a lot of works in later medieval literature, right? Um, so it's supposed yeah. to be a bit like that. It's supposed to be. I. Be, that's how it makes me feel. Sort of like it makes me think of an epic classical framework sort of story um definitely but you know it's not the kind of literature that you know if you read like old literature it feels a bit off and it feels a bit weird um but to me it fits into this because this whole thing has a very ancient feeling um so I, I do like it, but yeah, I can, I can see how it would not be very gripping. I think for me personally, it, it was just that I wanted to get back to yeah. like the characters mm -hmm. specifically, you know, because I'm very much a charactery reader. Mm -hmm. Like I, I latch on and I'm like, I, I'm ride or die. Like I want to see these, even if they're terrible, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, I, I want to follow them to the ends of the earth and see where their story goes. And, you know, if, if I want them to die horribly, then great. I'm excited <laughs> to watch that happen, you know? Uh, and yeah. that, yeah, when it was just like, pages and pages and pages because it wasn't just like a brief yeah. thing like it went on for a while um which it, again i think is a totally valid and it's a very interesting approach mm -hmm. and i i'm with you that it's like it is evoking you know uh as the whole story does like you said the the sort of older kind of classical style of storytelling and fantasy uh just through a really like you know horrible world um which you know in many ways reflects reality uh you know so certainly beyond um even some of the details um but yeah it's it's cool it's interesting i think I we needed a bit yeah i think this this part was like you needed a framework to be set up for what's going to happen i think because otherwise mm -hmm. a lot of what happens after would be a bit confusing i think i wanted to touch upon do you mean that in terms of like i mean obviously i don't want to get into like spoilers but in terms of 
the style of writing? No, not the style of writing. Of, like, sort the, characters, of the... the political landscape in which these characters are living in is useful for oh, what's yeah. going to happen after a court because it tells you about why their decisions, they do certain decisions and why things happen in certain ways. Gotcha, yeah. I enjoy that. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the politics, definitely. All the scheming, the different schools and dynasties and things like I, I'm very intrigued by all the schools. Mm -hmm. I continue to be like, I want to know more about all of them. I'm like, particularly, I think, because, well, one, it's magic, and so it's cooler. And then two, you know, the, it's not history. Like, that is something that I have no idea where that's going because there is no equivalent. And so I'm like, I want to see, like, what's their deal? What's their history? You know, we, we've seen some, like, a decent amount from the Mandate, mm -hmm. but, like, the rest of them are all still very mysterious. And certainly the Mandate still has its mysteries, too. But, oh, man, I can't, I can't wait to dig more into those. And I know we will because it's just such a distinct, unique part of the world. Watch out for the sparrows. <laughs> <laughs> the sparrows. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. So Steve, uh, by this point, uh, did you think differently about any characters during this read than you did the last time? Or yes, but I can't tell you who, and I can't tell you why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, Can there's you some seed in a way that I'll understand by they want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, did it. <laughs> there were um, behaviors that I didn't notice the first time. Mm. That are, I think it's almost impossible for you to know on the first read. Um, you just won't. You just won't know. But on this, on the reread, on a reread, you'll know. Like there's certain certain tells that stand out. Like oh, okay, I see now. Kind of like little things, nothing major, but mm. yeah. That's so cool. I love that. That's one of my favorite things when you have those elements of like foreshadowing and intricate like little character details that you go back on a reread and you're like, oh my god, like look at what he was doing here. Like, that's awesome. That's a sign of a great writer. You're trying to figure yeah. out when that thing happened in the background uh, that is then later revealed. Is that yeah? Because when we when well when we finished the series. Um, when Daniel and Katarina and I were talking about, Daniel said, remember in book one, when this and this happened, he's like, remember that? And it's like, Oh, so now when the reread, I'm like, I have to find those, uh, those things that he talked nice. about. So I'm, I was keeping my eye out for it. So, so, um, nice. Dan, Dan, were you part of the other, um, read along? Oh, no, so I listened read to this, it, but, Oh, okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, I wanted to touch uh, upon something that you mentioned Barsha because I didn't catch that. Um, or I, I, I just, I just missed it. Um, youth. So yeah, we learn about now you're having this, um, relationship with, with another man. And, um, but you said it was, uh, Moengus. Yeah. I think the slave, the, uh, so I believe what happened there was that Nayur uh, allowed the slave or helped the slave, uh, negotiate a situation that would, you know, make him challenge his father to some sort of duel, and his father died in that. And the slave who challenged the father was Moingus, uh, Anna Surimbor okay. Moingus. And then I had to go back and look that up, and he is uh, Kellis's father, <laughs> uh, who should be in Shime at the moment. Um, 
we we learn about that through a, like a flashback type of thing, right? So so yeah, the last part of the fourth chapter. Nayura is quite young at that point, I think. Thirty years before the so, events, okay. I believe. That's why I maybe I missed. I think he was fourteen, so that's why I'm kind yeah. of maybe missed that. Yeah. Um, but thank you for pointing mm-hmm. that he out. He was he was like sixteen or something. Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember oh, okay. that you could like do the math, and he, he was something like that, like right around sixteen. Okay. Um, maybe 17 or something. Oh, interesting. Was this current age mentioned? I completely missed that. <laughs> there, there was something. I, I, I mean, uh, again, maybe it's possible I'm making this up, but I just remember distinctly stopping at one point and like trying to do the math mm-hmm. uh, because they'd given us a number of dates um, and coming up with that he was like 16 or 17, which maybe they just say that. Maybe I didn't do that. I don't know, but I'm like pretty sure I like have this memory of that and yeah i thought that was interesting too i also like you varsha the first time i read it and i actually reread it multiple times to make sure i was understanding it correctly mm-hmm. thought he and his father had had a yeah. relationship or like <laughs> that was the rumor and yeah. i still think if i went back i'd be like this is written inside i don't know if that's intentional yeah, or not I or if that was like, like a was... slip in the prose like where he was like unintentionally being too vague um but it was really interesting to find out the thing with Moingus, certainly. Uh, and it definitely doesn't seem like they actually did have a sexual relationship because when we're in Nair's head, it just doesn't, he doesn't think about it like that. Yeah. But it's a, uh, yeah, it's a weird, interesting dynamic but, there. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that I was most intrigued by in that storyline, that whole history. But it keeps coming up. Okay. So the other, um, the guy that he, basically murders his family i think mentions it and then it's mentioned um when when during the the battle i believe so it's you know kind of a big deal um i i, I think and i i keep wondering then so what does that mean for kellis right so maybe maybe there's something yeah. to it but i'm trying <laughs> I can't help but try to piece through maybe, you know, that that's hinting at something um, because what what bring what brought Moengus to that the the those people? I, I, mm. I, we know that they take slaves. Mm. So what I'm just curious what made him venture out and and then be captured and or was there a plan? Was there some kind of plan? Because we know that the Dunyane are able to kind of predict what happens. They know what's happened based on what's happened before. So I'm I'm just conjecturing for the hell of it that this father, you know, may became became a slave, or and maybe that's not the right terminology or what have you, but um, allowed himself to be captured for 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 a reason. Hey, I'm just putting it. I definitely putting it out there. No, that I thought, I thought the same thing mm-hmm. for sure. That there's clearly he's scheming here. I mean, there's there's got to be plots within plots within plots going on with Moingus and with that whole storyline. I mean, there's just no way, right? Like he, why did he reach out to his son after decades of being away? Like there's there's so much going on there, and it's so interesting, right? Like because there's so much we don't know. So it's like we're just like you know throwing darts everywhere like we have no idea right 
I am convinced, however, and this is only a theory, this has not been confirmed, but I am convinced that Moingus for sure did the Dunyane little, you know, not actually psychic, mm -hmm. but like it basically functions as if he was psychic mind trick on Nair. Like the mm -hmm. Nair like basically fucks over his yeah. dad and like, I mean, certainly it seems like that's like a thing that could happen in that world and that totally. you know, civilization. But to me, it's like, it seems like that, that it doesn't take a lot of stretching to imagine that Moingus, who has to be capable of the same shit Kellis is, used his little, you know, trick on Nair to make all of that happen. I mean, there's so much manipulation yeah. going on in this book that <laughs> I wouldn't put it against uh, the author at this point. But I feel like, uh, I don't know, um, everyone else manipulation and then callous manipulation is a bit different. Mm. It's not the same level. Definitely. Yeah. I think. It, 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 it's like... Again, it's almost this like psychic level of like he is so extremely like capable of cutting through to people in a way that's like it's fantasy. So you know, it's like it's it's like creating this idea like what if someone could do this, right? And yeah, he gets down. He like describe the way he describes in the prologue, right? Is like he like cuts to like the core of the person and like their desires, like almost like the animal in them, and hmm. manipulates that to do whatever he wants. Yeah. It feels almost cleaner than the other kind of manipulation. Like, I, I think one of you used the word robotic. <laughs> uh, like, I, I'm trying to explain myself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it feels less selfish and more just as a means to an end, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. Um, Interesting. Like, less egotistic. I don't know. Uh, so, t to, since we're discussing uh, Nayur's father's death, he says uh, afterward, when his father lay dead, he had wept before his before the eyes of his tribe, wept with relief, which is very interesting. <laughs> Why was he relieved that his father died? I don't. I. I don't think we've seen anything here to say that you know uh, he wanted some sort of release from his father maybe that's a possible reason but was it that Moengus was threatening him somehow if his father wasn't dead um hmm. or yeah convinced him that his father was gonna harm him you know maybe perhaps. he was like you know your dad is gonna turn on you at some point because you're a threat to him you know you're the next in line whatever hmm. just random another idea hmm. yeah he is also afraid that Moengus might die which also is interesting which could be you know what you said maybe uh, i don't know could they control the thoughts i forget if kellis had he could right he could change what people it's it's not literally psychic like the way it's described is okay. like it's just like the most perfect form of manipulation but it okay. might as well be where like he can basically predict thoughts mm. and actions mm. and stuff at least that's how what he thinks he's capable of doing who knows if it's actually as perfect as he says okay okay so it's not yeah, I think I confused myself with a different book. But, uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't, um, yeah, maybe. We need to understand what's going on there. That's a very interesting relationship right there. Also, all of this happened 30 years ago. Do we think um, that Kellis and or Moengus have been alive for a really long time? 
because I I went back to the prologue because why wouldn't I after seeing this name um, I saw that you know the dreamers awoke as one gasping and what I don't remember what I saw here but something that implied that the dreamers had been asleep for a very long time uh, I thought I saw that do you guys remember it I do I do I thought I just read that as like they were just asleep and they woke up from their sleep and had seen Moingus telling them to bring the sun. Like I, I, I but I, yeah, maybe they were asleep for longer. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think Kellis is that old because right. I think they give us his age mm. or mm. unless, you know, there was some frozen in time shenanigans that we don't know about yet, mm. but Moingus like, knows. I mean, was he like late? 20s or something like it's something like I that think. like i i i i want to say he's i mean his dad left like shortly after he was born yeah he, he basically didn't know his dad that that much is or maybe is early 30s so however maybe. yeah mm-hmm. maybe early 30s i get the sense that yeah. um they're not that much you know i don't i don't get the sense that they they live that long or longer than you know the average human i should say um one of the things, though, that I, I thought I noticed as well was it doesn't seem like anybody recognizes him or knows what the Dunyane are. Because they're like this secret group, right? So they, I feel like when they when somebody ventures out, it's very purposeful. Um, you right. know, to, to, to no, we know we know they stayed hidden to and that there was a line in the prologue about how they all forgot like the world exactly. forgot 2000 years passed and the world forgot yeah. um which yeah adds to the mystique of the dunya and i love it <laughs> me too I, I can't wait to see them explored more that's why i wanted to come back to that because i was like well what there's that's got to be important you know like to me like there's just no doubt that it's like it's just a critical um, plot point, but they totally missed that relationship. So um, that's why it's great to talk um, in a group because mm-hmm. I like totally. I'm sure um, it just enriches the the reading experience. Absolutely, it is interesting and fascinating seeing how you guys like. <laughs> for now, you're getting like snippets of this like time timeline. Like we know what happened. You guys are getting like bits of it. Uh, and it's interesting seeing how you're trying to piece it together while we see it as sort of, you know, slowly being revealed and it gives a different, you know, like knowing what's actually happened and what you're actually instead seeing from what is being described is, is different. Hmm. It gives different feeling, doesn't it? There was one other, um, scene that I really appreciated and enjoyed, hmm. um, and that, Oh gosh, I had the names in front of me, so I wouldn't mess it up. Uh, this is when Zorias, I believe, um, communicates with the Kishar, Kisharam, or is it the? No, no, no. sorry, uh, it's not that. It's the. Remember there, there was a scene where he he thinks he's meeting somebody, but then the the face changes. Um, oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the meeting with the Kyanine, uh wizard, whatever sorcerer. What what are their names? They they do the suka. That's the name of their magic. Yes, yes, yeah. that's them. Yeah, 
that they think they're meeting Malahet, and then it was somebody else, Scorus, maybe. Actually, there were there were mm-hmm. two. The, the anyway that that scene was really um, so. That was another like we learned that. Um, well, we learned in part one that there was the this alliance with the Scarlet Spires, and, but then now we're learning that um, you know another. This is the the. Um, the Nansur Empire is aligning with what we think are the, you know, the opposing. I wouldn't call them bad guys because everybody is bad guys, but the opposing, <laughs> um, you know, Phantom faction. Um, I just thought I don't that think that they've done I, anything I, bad up until now, right? Have they? They might <laughs> be the good have. guys, actually. Yeah. I'm. Which, which faction? The, the Phantom. Phantom. They're just minding their own business, aren't they? Well, they do um, an- annihilate themselves from the war coming their face. Wait, is is that the is that the 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 Kyan? I there are so many words for it. Are there? What, the do we know Empire, the differentiation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think their religion is uh, like for, if they're just trying from a religious point of view, they're uh, yeah. Phanim, but culturally okay. they're Kyanim. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank thank you for clarifying that. Um, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they, we know they did one thing, although mm-hmm. we don't know why they did it, which was assassinate the head of the Scarlet Spires. Mm-hmm. Or did that happen yeah. in reverse? Did, did the Scarlet Spires do that to them? I think they did it to the Scarlet Spires, no, didn't they, they? Yeah. That's why the yeah, Scarlet Spires that's are right, in the war. That's right. A- Akka was talking to the guy who worked for the Scarlet Spires, and the guy told him that before he was murdered by yeah. Fleshface. But I mean, killing the important political figure is not, I mean, who gives a shit? Like, it's not morally wrong, really, as much as like, oh, you know, they're not persecuting people or killing innocents, you know? Well, yeah, Yeah. fair enough. It's not (laughs) certainly the degree. I think debatable depending on the political figure in question. But we, we, I guess we don't know enough about the Scarlet Spires, right, to... Certainly, they all seem sucky. They, they're having their <laughs> and they're certainly yeah. They're they're battling with their the. I, we know we learned. I think that they're more powerful. I think in the last chapter that we learned that they're even more powerful than the the empire. The sorry. Mm. Yeah, they they own like more land. Sure. I, that was the thing that didn't click for me was, in the first part was like just how much territory the Scarlet Spires had. Like they seem to have their own like full fledged mm-hmm. empire. Hyanon, I think, is yeah. like the territory or like, yeah, that 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 was wild. Um, very curious how that all works. I will say also, the Fanim. I mean, they straight up unless they exaggerated, which is possible because people historically did do this a lot. But if they actually killed the army to the man. That's insane. Like the the Crusaders. Like not that the you know the Crusaders didn't have something come into them. Definitely they did. But that's like next level if they actually slaughtered them all. But we'll see, maybe not. You know, that's certainly a thing historically that leaders will be like, I we killed them all, we slaughtered yeah. everyone, we, we killed, you know, every last person and pissed on their remains and there is nothing left of them and we salted the earth. Like, you know, it's like actually you just like killed like a tenth of their army and then they went and scattered. Uh, you know, who knows? But uh certainly that was a we'll see. They certainly haven't done as much evil as say the the empire people we've seen and we haven't seen the scarlet spires do anything that bad either yet have we 
No. Not really. But I mean, technically, all these people are preparing to invade another nation, which automatically puts them on the sort of wrong part, technically. (laughs) Right? Depends on what side you're on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I don't know. If I if I'm if I'm you know the the sh- one of the Shriol knights mm-hmm. and I think they took our holy land you know from my point of view, the Jedi are <laughs> yeah. I mean these. But I mean if the- they're allowing pilgrims to go there, right? It's no, I, I'm with you. I think I think clearly there's a decent peace going, and they're they're ruining a good thing. Yeah, it seems very again very reminiscent of the whole crusades thing and like you know pilgrims were allowed to be there. There's a lot of our political reasons why we started um you know it's a lot more nuanced than just oh enemy religion right right totally. oh definitely definitely there's a multitude of reasons which again I, I i love bringing in the i feel like when people talk about the crusades they don't talk about the byzantine empire a lot you know kind of when people just like in pop culture and pop history you know, I, I mean, certainly if you dig into it at all, like even the slightest amount, you have to talk about the Byzantine Empire. But that is a whole other major party mm-hmm. that isn't discussed at all, that had an enormous impact on how the Crusades played out. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, all the Western European Christians versus, you know, all the Muslims, you know, which speaking of, by the way, they had like a bajillion different, you know, empires and groups going on where like it, it ends up being painted in these really broad you know, brushes, which is just so far from the reality of how complex the political dynamics actually were. Hmm. And I love seeing that represented, you know, albeit in a somewhat simplified, but like, because you have to, it's a, you're telling the story, you know, way, it's, it's really cool. I mean, there's a lot of nuance going on here. That's fun to see play out. I think most of the time, like, well, because the Byzantines didn't really go to the Holy Land, but like, once we got to their part, like, fuck it, we don't, we're not going to go there, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, they 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 had in different crusades. They had more of an impact than others. Yeah. Uh, in the first crusade, in particular, yeah, they mostly just like supplies, yeah, stuff, and like I mean, they were big on like providing supplies, yeah, uh, basically, and some border protection. But they certainly weren't the main forces that went and tried to uh, conquer. Well, they have Jerusalem. a big part in the like. What is it? Is it a fur crusade? What's the one where the Venetians shipped a bunch of uh, Westerners to Constantinople to sack it? Is it the first? I think that's the the fourth, maybe? The fourth. I think that's the fourth. The third is Richard the Lionheart and Saladin. And when all that. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry, yeah. I I don't know. If you guys don't know about it, that crusade is pretty pretty funny. It's like the crusaders got to Venice and they needed ships, but they didn't have the money, if I remember correctly to pay for it so the venetians were like okay we're gonna ship you but first you need to conquer these other places for us and so they made the crusaders attack other christian um Mm. cities to conquer i think ragusa or something like a couple like a city in the adriatic sea and then they shipped them to constantinople and then they sacked constantinople like pretty much destroying their uh, eastern roman empire like fragmenting it uh, and then the Venetians mm. just took all the loot and brought it back to Venice, and it's still there, a lot of it. And that's a very mm. proud part of my heritage, because I am from Venice, and, and that part is always oh. so fun. It's very... <laughs> like a whole crusade that didn't actually even go to the Holy Land, it just attacked other Christians. 
that mm. we're supposed to protect. There's a lot of that going on in the Crusades. A lot of, we're going to march to Jerusalem. Oh, hey, look, there are some Jews right here. Maybe we can just kill them instead. You know, and shit like that. It's, it, the Crusades are so messy. And that's part of what's delightful about studying them, you know, is how chaotic they are. Uh, the First Crusade was actually relatively well organized. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see... Yeah, how all that plays out, bringing things back to the, the yeah. book in question. And I think in this book it's a bit similar because in the sense that everyone is on their own side. It's not like two Everyone has their own side, really. <laughs> You're trying to get advantage for themselves, not for their whole side, really. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of selfishness going on. Yeah. So, Steve, I want to hear from you. What were things you noticed on this read? Obviously non-spoilery, like what, what were things that stood out to you that you, you know, thought were interesting, compelling, you know, anything you want to highlight? Um, non-spoilery would be, I love Baker's action. Mm. Um, he, I think sometimes, I, I'm not a big fan of combat scenes that go on for like a chapter. Well, sometimes there are some books that do that pretty well. Like the Hellborn King has a whole chapter or two of just of a battle, but it's broken up. So there's like different things that happen. There's different strategies involved. So not always true, but I think his the battles that Baker does is they're they're quick and they're violent and then they're over. And it this leaves more of an impact than it being he swings a sword and he blocks with a shield and then he swings. You know, it's like okay, get on with it. You know, but they're just like really quick and brutal and people die and things happen. And then it it's, leaves, as a reader, I think it's more impactful mm -hmm. just to have it, to know that it's going to be quick. Because I think it, in in life, I think, I don't want to say like I've been in a life or death battle, but I would imagine that they're they're over pretty quick. I mean, unless it's like a large scale battle. If you're, you know, two people are fighting, probably doesn't last, you know, too long. Yeah. From what I know, I think they went actually quite a long time, but it was sort of like, oh, there's a clash and then they separate and then version of our right. clash right it's not like constant action right but mm. they, probably the soldiers were there all day but half the day was st spent standing still or just walking or or just pushing against each other or something like that like the actual action i think is, yeah yeah really good well particularly like one-on-one -on -one fights definitely can be over quickly mm. right and, but yeah, the, I mean, the things that yeah drag them out is like when you grapple, you know, because people get tired, like like you said, Dan, like it's a lot of, you know, just trying to outlast the other person even yeah. um, or get a lucky blow in, especially if you're covered head to toe in armor. You know, it takes a lot to get through that plate. I, I did enjoy Baker's action, too. And mm -hmm. I think, Carl, you mentioned Nayer's the scene where he comes back for his revenge, the imagery in those few pages, this the lightning and the thunder and. Mm -hmm the darkness and it's very vivid that um, oh, yeah. very striking that that section yeah. I, could i mention one more thing that was i thought it was uh that stuck out to me um so what i highlighted this section i think it was one of the last chapters in part two where skaos is talking to confess and it, to me, it's the opposite type of philosophy of the going back to the Dunier, where they talk about only the future is real. Um, mm. Without a future, without a horizon of promise or threat, our lives have no meaning. 
only the future is real, Confus, and unless I make amends to the gods, I have no future left. Um, so I, I, to me, that stuck out because it was in the opposite, um, going in the opposite kind of uh, uh, philosophy. And we know Baker is a philosopher, so I, I don't know if others hmm. uh, thought the same. But these people are very much, they're kind of like capitalists or whatever, but they're really focused <laughs> on their, you know, the, their wealth and their future and their, within their, you know, um, anyway, I just uh, found that to be, uh, to be interesting. Definitely the philosophizing are very interesting. I, I continue to be in, interested and uh, I, I ponder a lot the epigraphs. Mm-hmm. You know, after I read them, I find that there's a lot of like interesting little nuggets of wisdom or ideas just to think about, even if I don't necessarily, you know, think they're accurate. Like a a lot in this part was about empires and being a king and and the gods, too. I remember the one where like, you know, one of like the greatest blasphemies or the the most honest blasphemies or something was that like, you know, call a god a thief, not a not a king, uh, because, you know unlike kings like you don't notice when a thief steals from you that was a good line uh and you know that that's paraphrasing i don't remember <laughs> the exact quote but i thought that was like so interesting and yeah. such a kind of quietly profound way to view such a large idea um you know certainly it's impactful to talk about religion and gods and things like that and to grapple with like the horrors in the world by viewing a god like as a thief you know it's it's just not a way i'd ever thought about it before and i thought it was that was interesting i think you're right i think there's like the way he writes especially like these sort of passages which almost seem like taken from the old testament sort of thing they're very concise yet there's a lot of things you can think about and yet like they're very well written so there's a lot of stuff in it right and he feels purposely crafted like you know like actually taking something from a bigger body of literature which was you know carefully crafted to be you know important not just like oh i'm just writing some random thing which is supposed to sound smart but it's actually doesn't mean anything right Mm. which can happen sometimes oh Mm -hmm. yeah i find myself rereading um paragraphs quite a bit uh, i don't know if, if i'm the only one because i i feel like i might have there's a lot going on as you said uh dan and maybe i missed something um yeah sometimes maybe, they're too short for like maybe he could have said explain things a bit longer you know in more sentences but it's very concise sometimes and sometimes it's not but hmm. what about you varsha what stuck out to you in, the, in this part Oh, I thought that scene that Mike mentioned was very powerful. The one where uh, Skeos, you know, who we think is a scaredy cat, is willing to betray uh, Sirius because he's afraid for his afterlife, sort of. He's worried about hurting, uh, about uh, upsetting the gods by giving away the holy war and that his mother's conspiring with Skeos, probably. Um, Yeah, I also really appreciated the thing we were talking about earlier which was uh, the pulling the rug out from under our feet like in the introduction for instance the very first chapter in this part we had um, 
Sirius, I think it starts, if I remember correctly, with Sirius uh, admiring the sparrows and thinking about how wonderful they are and what a good addition to his day they are. And then one shits on him and then he's like, no, kill all of them. It's funny. (laughs) The way that turned was brilliant and it sort of set the tone for pretty much everything else that happened in this part, right? Like we start one way and then it goes a completely different way. Um, another thing that I wanted to bring up for discussion was uh, maintenance. Uh, we, so, uh, what you mentioned earlier, Carl, about how what happens with the Vulgar Crusade is basically told to us. It's almost like it's a it's an excerpt from some historical text, right? Um, and so it does feel distant and impersonal. We go from feeling like Maithanet is fumbling and has gotten himself into something bigger than he anticipated to the way this section ends is Confess wondering what the heck Maithanet knows and who he is and being absolutely terrified of him. He went from, uh, you know, feeling really confident that he can steal the war from him to wondering who this person is and that he doesn't fully understand. I thought that bit was really well done because we left part one with this feeling that Maithanet is this larger than life person, right? Who's calling a holy war. Everybody's uh, coming to where he uh, calls them. And like he's got like these huge crowds who are hanging on his every word. And he also recognized Akamian for a sorcerer when we don't ex- expect him to. There's so much going on <laughs> with this character that just felt so larger than life. And then... We're like, oh, he's fumbling. Yeah, maybe he's not as cool as we thought. But then when we end it, <laughs> Confess is like, oh my God, who the heck is he? By then we've gotten to really admiring Confess. And like, I just love the whole, you know, the groundwork that is laid to sort of really hammer in the impact of each little, I, I don't want to say revelation because nothing's being revealed yet, but like thought process that we're embarking on. It's really <laughs> interesting you mentioned that like the 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 increasing sense that Maithanet is that he knows too much, right? Like mm. how does he know all of this? How is he able to predict all you know, that's one of the reasons I find mm. the Kellis theory, you mm-hmm. know, again, it could be completely insane. I I, I who knows, you know, and I'm not a, you know, super attached to it. Um but why I find it compelling is just because, like, how does he begin to piece together the things that he's piecing together and, like, strategizing in ways that, like, all the other characters, you know, kind of the top dog, like, schemers, mm-hmm. we get a pretty strong sense of their humanity. And by that, I mean, like, their their flaws, their inability to predict the future, their inability to successfully manipulate everything to their whims you know and the only other characters who we've seen do the things that Maithanet seems to be doing although who knows if he actually is is like Kellis and Moingus and I I want to know what's going on there and is you know what is the humanity behind this figure we only got like one real kind of quieter scene with him where he was very wrathful and angry and villainous but not like there wasn't any clear sense that he didn't know what he was doing or in, that he was in really over his head. Like you almost expect it because of how proud he seems, mm-hmm. but 
at the same time, there there's just this increasing sense, like you said, Varsha, that he knows so much and that, you know, he's frightening people who are not used to, well, I don't want to say that they're not used to being frightened, but he, he's impressing them, I guess, people who are not used to being impressed. And there's certainly a lot going on there. I mean, and clearly, yeah. you, you, we know he's a sorcerer, right? Or he has the mark or whatever that, or he's able to see the mm. mark, you know? There's the, the, something there that he could pick out a Camion from the crowd. I'm very intrigued by Nathan that. And honestly, I really desperately want more with him um, because we're just getting drip fed, really. We're just having a lot of people talk about him, which is, which is probably really great writing to like continue to build that anticipation and the mystery around his character. I think we know he's an exceptional person, right? Because I think we've been told that he rose to become the Shrya like, very quickly from nothing, right? Mm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. seems to be a very so, sexual person. I realized that I hadn't finished reading the final chapter <laughs> for our last discussion. <laughs> so, uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about today was um, the the fact that the Maitanet is in league with the consult, right? Like that's what that chapter no. meant. No. No, it's it's the knights who work under him who are. Um, it doesn't seem like he knows about right. the consult, or if maybe. he's aware of them, he doesn't realize that they've infiltrated. That's maybe. my understanding. Okay, we haven't been told explicitly that he's in league, but he's the head of the religious order that is whose god is in league with the consult, whose goddess is in league with the consult. Wait, what? Doesn't Indra think that the goddess has betrayed him? <laughs> oh, I took that as like a uh, an emotional thing, hmm. like not like literally the god betrayed. Oh, I I read him. that literally. <laughs> um, oh, fair enough. I, I mean, mean, yeah, who knows what's going on with the gods in this are, world? Are the gods yeah. real? God. I don't think we've seen anything yeah. like that. I think we've only seen magic being real. To be honest, yeah, I'm. I will yeah. admit and. And this may, may be my own personal worldview influencing things, but like with the Song of Ice and Fire, where people talk about the gods a lot, but we don't actually see like them actively. Like th there are things that people interpret as the gods. I, I'm not convinced that the gods in this world are real yet, but who knows? Maybe they are. Maybe we'll see some crazy. I mean, we have the no god, right? Isn't that what he's mm -hmm. called? He's clearly real because he's basically like he was Sauron and he came down and like almost took over the world so we at least know that guy's real whatever <laughs> you know whatever's going on there could be just a very and powerful sorcerer right but right. we've seen but sorcerers that be was, very yeah. powerful right yeah so think about like one of the most powerful sorcerer how how strong would he be right compared to normal people i don't know scary uh, yeah yeah scary i don't know if, <laughs> if others noticed this but part two was almost devoid of magic. I mean, there was maybe a little mm. bit in, in contrast to... Yeah, except for that battle. Sorry. Uh, except for that battle between uh, Sylvendi and uh, Nansur. Okay, yeah. That's right. Yeah, this, the sorcerers came out and nuked everyone. And then you had the weird face scene, but other than that, you're right. It, it's it is not as much, I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably another. 
yeah, need to maybe go back to that so, chapter. Um, even part one, we didn't see a lot of wielding of magic. We just talked about magic a lot because we were in, we were seeing mm -hmm. things from a perspective of one of the members of a school, right? I mean, we've heard a lot of talk about magic, right? Yeah. And how mm -hmm. it's viewed by the cultures and their religion, right? And it seems to be only reserved for like important things. And, you know, they're, they're not just doing it to heat up their tea or something, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because it does seem yeah. like the, even the sorcerers <laughs> themselves know that they're sort of, you know, because they're in this cultural environment, they do sort of also view it a bit as, you know, not something good, right? Mm. So yeah. you yeah. wouldn't use it trivially, right? Because they mm. still see that it's like it's something because of the culture of rain, it's it's bad, sort of, right? It's against god maybe they're like oh you know i'll accept power in this life to go against god but it's still you know we still sort of know it's bad a bit mm -hmm. um. mm. so um new question about that battle in which they used sorcery hmm. did what did confess do differently in this particular battle was it that he brought the sorcerers or did they always fight with sorcerers but they had the korai is that what they're called uh in strategic places so that the sorcery couldn't be effective uh was it mainly strategy that won them this battle or was it the fact that they had the sorcerers that's a good question i don't know i mean it seemed mm -hmm. clear that he manipulate like the big manipulation was he got everyone <laughs> there like all the tribes were there mm. Mm. and they were maybe funneled mm -hmm. in like i i want to say they were like around mountains so maybe they were like there wasn't as much room to maneuver mm. but yeah i don't know beyond that I, you would think mm. they would use the wizards i think they i think it's explained right when nair is in the uh in the river and it's hearing confess talking to martimius right Mm -hmm. uh, and he's yeah. explaining his strategy and what he did, right? He says, uh, what do you say? He says, uh, war is intellect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. he explains how he, what he did different than his predecessors was he stopped and he learned about the Slavendi. And so previous ones thought they were barbarians. What he learned, he learned their uh, patterns, the fact that they, need, they were rushed because they needed to go gather their uh, uh, herds because the winter was approaching. And he knew how they fought. He knew they had all their traditions, right? And he mm -hmm. used all of that stuff to sort of lure them into... Because usually they wouldn't be able to use the sorcerers because the, uh, the Slavendi had uh, Kore Bowmen. So they would shoot the sorcerers, which are very important. You can't... Like, losing, I think, a sorcerer is like losing 10,000 people or something like mm -hmm. Soldiers. Mm -hmm. Something like that. So they would You can't just have the sorcerers in the front line attacking, you know, because once they know where they are, they're just going to shoot them or they're going to attack mm. them or, you know. Um, so he used it so that they put, I think the strategy was they put, he made them think that he put the strong forces on his flank so they would put his, um, something like, what was it? The force of the flanks, he seeded the flanks mm. And he puts his best force in the front, he attacked where they had the Kore, so they couldn't use it, and then when they were neutralized, he used the 
uh, the sorcerers. I think that's what happened. Mm. But the basic yeah, thing I, is I, like I he. The basic thing it was just like he is like he was. He stopped to think, which is predecessor okay. didn't think. <laughs> that, I think that's the main okay. takeaway. Right, right, he he took the the Skilvendi. Well, I guess they probably took him seriously, but he actually like tried to understand them, yes. right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just treating them like I that this was the line that I thought was um one of the lines, the epithets, uh, epigraphs rather, mm-hmm. that I thought was so interesting was and in the old Shaikh, the language of the ruling and religious castes of the Nansurium, Skilvenas means catastrophe or apocalypse, as though the Skilvendi have somehow transcend, uh, transcended the roles of people in history and become a principle. That's actually mm-hmm. quoting uh Akamian, one of his uh, books on the Holy War. And I just think, one, that's so cool that I don't know if this is, has any sort of historical precedent or if Baker just came up with that himself, but that these people were named in the language because they were so distressed. They were named for like disaster, like apocalypse. Like that's crazy. Also, it made me wonder. <laughs> There are lots of connection hints that maybe there's something going on between this Vendi and all the shit that went on up north um, and the, uh, uh, oh my god, why can I never remember their names, but the orcs, whatever oh, the, the orcs the are. Shrink. The shrink, shrink, yeah. The shrink, yeah. I don't know. I there. I distinctly remember, I don't, I would have to look it up and try to find it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't highlight anything. Um that there was some mention of like something about the Scavendi having some connections to the north or even doing things like I don't know that maybe I I just projected that onto that mm-hmm. but um I definitely wondered about some sort of connection between their culture and the shrank who seemed to be very similar from what we understand mm-hmm. um Beyond that, again, just that it's so cool that their culture is named after like a word for apocalypse, basically. And <laughs> maybe it's the other way around. Same time. Maybe it's their the word for apocalypse oh, came from go. the word for the people, Skilvendi. right? Because yeah. of the cultural impact they had. I think that that's, in my mind, yeah. that's a reference to the Huns and Attila, the scourge yes. of God sort of thing, because. That also is something, you know, that happened to the Eastern Roman Empire and how these people were seen as, like, sort of like demons, right? Coming to destroy everything and people right. from the steppes always seen as the sort of force that comes and destroy the civilized empire. And even in cultural, in, in modern cultural sort of language, like the Huns in certain languages, European languages, it's just something, uh, it's like a word for... Uh, like the destroyers or something like that, right? It's it's to me it's it's a bit of a parallel to that as well as the stuff that you said. Hmm. There's definitely parallels there with the Huns, right? The step like horseback riding. Yeah. I mean, again, getting back to the Dothraki, right? Hmm. Um, and then anyway, yeah, lo- looping back to the <laughs> idea of like the word meaning. They viewed them as a principle, right? They viewed them as a force of nature mm-hmm. rather than as a civilization. And mm-hmm. that was like, seemed to be the big thing that Confus did was actually view them as people who like have reasons for the things they do. And mm-hmm. that allowed him to exploit those, you know, reasons kind of in the same way Kellis does, mm-hmm. um, but on a more, you know, militaristic 
scale. Mm. Mm. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting how a lot of the time when, you know, when you have people discussing books like this, uh, a lot of the time, all these things, oh, the psychology of a character, or is this foreshadowing to this, or is this mean that? A lot of the time, it's just sort of like, we're making it up, right? And there's no, mm. there's nothing like that. You know, it's all speculation. But this is one of the series in which, like, it's it's the opposite. It's sort of like, you guys don't even know how, you're just scratching the surface of <laughs> the deeper meaning and the psychology and the characters mm. and it's, it's, it's a lot more too mm. on top of all the things mm. you're thinking about also so i think you'll enjoy i think it. it's i'd use the word manipulation but i think it's beyond that i think it's this determinism stuff that's going on here um what one mm. thing that i kept thinking about as um for the last maybe 10 minutes or so is um, I think the 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 Dunyane could be anywhere. Actually, it mm. sounds like they are. They come out and do do something. You know, they they make changes or they. Um, so, it, as we were saying, it could be this the Methanet character, but it could be to me. It um, they could be um, posing as anybody. I I, mm. I, I I'm wondering. It could be totally, uh, it could be way off, but um, just the fact that we learned that the father was, you know, I, I, I mean, we, maybe, maybe I, I, I didn't catch this, but um, they, he went by another name. He didn't go by this uh, initially, I think. So it makes, makes me think that um, anything is possible. So, uh, sorry, is the theory that Nathanet is one of the Dunyane or that he came out of another sect of no, the Dunyane? I mean, Cause you, you said they could be any, anywhere, which is interesting. I, I had just assumed that they were like that was the last of them that settled in the city with a, uh, on a sewering board. But I mean, I guess certainly refugees scatter. So they, I guess there could be they could have gone to other places. I'm too. thinking that so they're so what I'm what I'm saying is that Confus could be you know you know what I mean like it could be could be anybody. Um, I mean that's not, probably not a good example, but what what I'm my assumption is that you know I'm trying to think of a, of, a, of an analogy, but these are people that whenever there's some like a something is out of joint in this world, um, they can come in and then you know, maybe make some changes or pose as some other character to then, because they know what's going to happen. Or but they manipulate the people and, and nations, stuff like that. Or, or guide, or it's on the tip of my tongue, another example of this from something I, I watched recently or, or what have you, but... Um, it, That's sort of what the Bene Gesserit did. Exactly. Do, is like, they try to steer the course of history towards ideally more order i mean that they, they have all this propaganda really it's because you know it's to their own whims you know whatever they feel is moral right uh kind of in this same way to what not even moral what they think will benefit them um but kind of in the same way that you know i don't want to get into dune actually i won't i won't talk spoilers there okay. but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, an interesting idea i was thinking more instead of the example like the, the lizard people in our world 
It's a better way of speaking. Oh. <laughs> I don't. Not many people, lizard people are real. <laughs> but how they manipulate and they're hiding behind the important yeah. people, right? We we get it. Dan is a lizard person truther. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah, that the Dunia, I mean, I hadn't even thought that they, who knows what's up with them. Maybe the leader of the Star yeah, Spires is right. one of them, or the leader of the, I don't know, Fanim, or the leader of the, who knows. But now we know none of that but is I true, because anywhere. you wouldn't, you wouldn't spoil it for us. Or would I? Or would oh. I? <laughs> exactly. Or would I? Hiding in plain sight. I'm I'm furiously googling lizard people. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch that reference either. You've never heard of a lizard people? I don't think so. There are people out there who really believe that stuff. It's a little, it's a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They think that like Not, nothing little yeah. about it. All yeah, the important true. politicians are just lizard people, and okay. they or aliens or something manipulating humanity, something like that, and they drink the blood of people. I don't know. It's weird conspiracy theories. <laughs> And they live yeah, inside the central of the earth, which is hollow, where the dinosaur lives, of course. or something like that. <laughs> so is that a step up or a step down from the flat earth theory? <laughs> because they live in the center, so yeah. the earth is not Listen, flat. <laughs> all, all I'm getting from this is the Dunyain live in the center of the earth, <laughs> and that Kellis is in fact a lizard, and he's going to come out, and he's going to transform into a dragon. And oh, maybe game over. <laughs> They're right down much of it is real. Yeah. So the the Dunyan do live underground. <laughs> so hmm? who's to say the Wait, underground doesn't is... go all the way to the center? <laughs> but at least some part of them does. Isn't hmm. that where we left them when they when the dreamers the woke up? The city's underground. I completely missed that. I thought the city was above ground. The city's underground. I think it's underground too. They found they found each other in the unlit yeah. unlit depths of the thousand thousand halls. Mm, depths. Yeah. I interpreted that as underground. Or maybe it says explicitly somewhere else that it's underground. Wow, I completely missed that. Okay. I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> I had no idea. So all we need is for Kellis to turn into a dragon and a set. <laughs> exactly, there you go. So my theory's halfway there. Okay. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, we know, but but you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know. <laughs> Fakers. Soon. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I had another question for the rereaders. At what point in the first book, or maybe later in the series, if it's later in the series, maybe not, but in the first book, have we got to the point yet where you decided you really liked this book? You mean on the first try? On the first read, you mean, or on the first read? Yeah. I was hooked pretty quick. I think the prologue hooked me. Oh, interesting. Pretty. It's all in. What about you, Dan? I don't remember. It was very long time ago. I think I I started reading it when the first book of a second series came out, or something like somewhere around there. But I don't remember. It's been a long time. Hmm. But I believe I, when I read it the first time, I only read the first part. Because I think it wasn't out, like the second part wasn't out yet. And then when the second part came out, I reread everything. And then mm. I reread it everything when Steve had the discussion. Oh. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Something like that. 
had a question for so Alive. We read all seven. We hmm. read all seven books four or five times. That's awesome. Something like that. I don't know, but it's. I don't know. The second series made me love the whole thing a lot more than just reading the first series. But that's not the same for everyone. Some people much prefer a first series. Mm. Um, I don't know what Steve's uh, opinion on this is. But. Mm. I think the second series, there's some great stuff in the second part that kind of ties it all together. But I love both of them. So. Yeah. They're kind of different. They are, yeah. They're fairly different. We can't say how or why. What, <laughs> what I couldn't believe was, so I did read some interviews with him, and I, I, I got one small thing. I, I don't know if it's small or not. I'm not going to say it, but it spoiled for me. But that he basically, like, I mean, he had, like, a whole outline, or not outline, I guess, but idea for the whole, like, series of series. And I guess it was originally supposed to be, like, a trilogy yeah. and then two duologies. Did he, did he, are the back four books, is that what those are? Or is it just an expansion of the second? I think the, the last two books were supposed to be one book, if I remember right. And I think there was supposed to be two trilogies. And I think they split the last two books into the last two, they split the last book into two. So it turned out to be a, a four book. um, From what I've heard though, they're supposed to be approach. There's supposed to be something else after this. There's supposed to be a last part. But I think the last time there was any... I don't know. The last time anyone heard from him was a while ago. Yeah. Um, Pre-COVID, I think. Yeah. 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 I did did take some steps to reach out to him through some people. So cross your fingers and your toes. I don't... don't, It's a long shot, but we'll see. I mean, he's still fine. I, I think his brother said but he's like fine he's just chilling and doing his own thing whatever mm-hmm. but i think it's the problem is hard to find a publisher i think i don't see how jeez it's all published <laughs> uh, yeah it's not very i don't know who who would publish it's very specific very niche self-publish yep kickstart that he should. Okay. He would raise yeah, money he like should, crazy. Uh, he definitely he would be able to get shit. the money for that. Maybe he just doesn't find motivation for it. Right, yeah, know. exactly. Is he, so what, is he back at ac- in academia? I mean, has he even mentioned, maybe he's just full private, I don't know. But. I think he's private. I don't think he's doing a whole lot. I think he's just focused on being a dad now, but I think so. um, fingers crossed. Cool. I, there was a rumor about a year ago that he that the, the next book was about to come out mm. and it turned out to be, I don't know what happened, it fizzled out, but there was a there was some traction, so maybe. Maybe there's Would you on. say it ends solidly? Like, if you never got another book, yes. you would be content with where it ended. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's way better than some other certain authors who set out to write seven books, and you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, before I get sad. No, I think you'll be satisfied by the conclusion. It, yeah. Well, maybe not. It well, is a conclusion of some sort. It it depends. Some people like. Yeah. Some people don't. But, you know, I'm happy with it. To be honest, a lot yeah. of people are happy just even le- reading the first three and keeping it at that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can read it in that way and then just be happy about that, really. Maybe skip the last two chapters the of, the tri- of this trilogy. That, that, was, that was the thing that, like, stood out to me was he talked about it as if it was, like, the first trilogy was almost like a prologue to the rest of the story, 
which I was like, whoa, because I, d- I did have some understanding that it was like self-contained as a trilogy. And then like the second story continued the story, but like it didn't like you didn't need it per se. And so I was very curious, you know, I mean, it reminds me of the stuff that like Patrick Rothfuss said about the Kingkiller Chronicles, which is honestly hysterical at this point. Uh, that like I don't know if you guys have heard this, but like the King Killer Chronicle trilogy is supposed to be a prequel to a larger story. Hmm. Oh, I've only read the first one. Which is, and there's not a lot that it, happens in that book. <laughs> it's it, it's it's just it's comical, honestly. Like I like the book. We've talked about it in the forum, but anyway, I don't want to get off subject too much. But like that it. is like you finish the trilogy before you even think of a freaking. I think it's different. Yeah. Like that trilogy, it doesn't feel to me, at least, like he has an idea, a whole complete idea of how everything is gonna turn out. Like while well, here, there's a lot of things which wouldn't be in these books if he didn't know how it, it would turn out in the end. Like there's a lot of okay. uh, anticipation of things and little things which don't make sense right now, or you can just read it normally, but mean something else later. And I don't think you could do it yeah. just writing without knowing what's going to happen. I feel. Yeah. If we do, if we don't get any other books, I, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. I'm I'm good if we don't get any more. Well, of course, I'd love some more, but so yeah, there's not like a yeah. I'll just say I'll I'm it's a. Yeah, you, yeah. So you're not going to be hanging on uh, for something to be wrapped up. I guess you can say it's. It's not like a cliffhanger. There's a bookend. Like that, yeah, right? it's it's. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Final answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess um, unless anyone else has anything else to talk about, now seems like a good time to wrap up. Uh, so where can people find you, your books, and your channels, and any other? content that you create uh steve would you like to start us off yeah you can find me on page com. that's the best place to find me all the stuff's there so <laughs> quick and easy <laughs> i'll kick it off to dan because dan's a tough one he has a long <laughs> outro no not really um you can find me where can you find me this time you can find me on uh, some obscure uh, cartography forums for fancy maps if you're looking for it uh, and maybe you'll see some maps I posted every once in a while in the past. Oh, wow. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> what? Okay, you can't just say that. Where, where is this? Now? I want to see no, no, fantasy it's, maps. It's, it's obscure. It's obscure. If I tell it, it's not obscure. Actually, I don't know how obscure it is. It's just a, what is it called? Cartographer's Guild? Well, why, why don't you why don't you it's share been a while, obscure? It's been a while since I posted about <laughs> there, but share share the obscure cartography forum on our our obscure forum, and it'll be remain obscure. Okay, it's that? pretty good. Sounds <laughs> like a plan. Right. I just remembered it because it's the only website which sends me every year birthday wishes. Uh, even hmm. if it's been many years since I posted there, they still the only one that get birthday wishes from. Oh, okay. That's a one. Challenge accepted. All right. Anyways, go ahead, Carl. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find well me on the page chewing forum, or uh, I am at Carl D. Albert pretty much on most social media sites. And then my books, uh, the ebook is on Amazon, and the physical book you can buy wherever books are sold. Yes, and join our read for it here in the next month or so. We'll be reading it together. So. Ooh. Uh, for me, um, 
you can find me on pagechewing.com as well. I uh, go by Mike, uh, Mike M with the last initial. Nice. It's getting late for me. Sorry. It's like, it's okay. It's after, all right. It's after my bedtime. That leaves me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can find me on the channel. You're reading by the rainy mountain. The about page has other ways to reach me. And I, of course, hang out all the time on the page doing forum. Uh, so we'll see everyone in two weeks when we'll be discussing part three, which is only three chapters this time, but still about 100 pages. So chapters 12, no, uh, chapters 9 to 11. <laughs> I made the exact same mistake yesterday. But anyway, uh, three chapters, two weeks from now. <laughs> see everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you're still here with us, bye. Bye. Uh, Bye, guys.